Hello, I'm Ed Needham, editor of the fabulous literary magazine Strong Words, and this is my podcast, The Five Rules of Writing. In each episode, I speak to a most excellent writer in a particular genre about how they do it. And if you'd like to know more about Strong Words, and specifically how to subscribe, go to www.strong-words.co.uk and you'll be whisked straight to the website. Hello and welcome to the Five Rules of Writing, brought to you by Strong Words magazine. Now this is a podcast where I talk to writers about the five things they know to be true in writing whatever it is that they write for a living. So whether they spend their days writing lyrics for operas or parking tickets, there are some aspects of their work that are absolutely non-negotiable. Now today, I'm very excited to welcome our first ever French guest. He is a film director, screenwriter and novelist, and his second novel, A Hundred Million Years in a Day, was published in English in the UK last year and was one of Strong Words' top 20 books of 2020. If you haven't read it, and I urge you to, it's about a man on a quest. He is a professor of paleontology, that's dinosaurs, in a not very exciting department at a rather ordinary French university, but he is overwhelmed by two powerful forces. The first is his desire to overcome childhood humiliations, and the second is that he is tormented by a story about something a man once glimpsed in a cave a century earlier. He doesn't know where the cave is, but he cannot get this um, this story out of his mind. So it's a person, it's a story of a person whose obsession pushes him to extremes high in the mountains. And it's, an, it's a magnificent book. So here to talk about the challenges of writing that difficult second novel, I'd like to welcome to the five rules of writing, Jean-Baptiste Andrea. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, apologies for my difficult pronunciation of your name and congratulations on uh, 100 million years and a day. Are, are you obsessed with dinosaurs and mountains? Uh, I am obsessed with mountains, for sure. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an environment uh, and, uh, that I really love uh, to the point that I'm actually considering going to live in the mountains at, the, at this point in my life. Um, um, dinosaurs, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, no, it, it's more uh, uh, something that comes from my childhood. You know, I guess like most people as, as, a, as a little boy, I was, no, I wasn't obsessed, obsessed. I actually had a phase where I wanted to be a paleontologist. Uh, when I was told that I could not become a writer because it wasn't a real job. <laughs> and so I thought, hey, what else could I do? And then paleontology uh, seemed very appealing, even though I, I, I'm not a scientific mind at all. Um, and I realized it's the storytelling aspect of paleontology that, that was a big draw for me. And that's, I'm, I'm putting actually those words in, in, in the book. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, that, that, that's, that's how the dinosaurs ending up in my book. Okay. Now, why haven't we seen your first novel, Maren, oh. in English? Very good, very good question. You should ask publishers. Now, <laughs> the, no, I, look, I got v very, very good feedback because I saw the feedback that I got from scouts and publishers from the UK um, about this first book. Um, and, and, you know, I think it, the, the people who read it enjoyed it, but... There's, there's a business side to, to all of this, which is the reason why the first book wasn't published, I think. It's that the 
foreign language market in the UK is very small. I think it's maybe 1.5% of the market or something. Mm. And it's already crowded with, you know, very established foreign writers. And so it's very hard for a newcomer, understandably, uh, to, to just uh, uh, find a bit of space for himself or herself uh, on this very crowded market because there's only so many, so many books you can publish. Um, the specificity of the Anglo-Saxon market is that you have a huge production in your own language in English. You have yes. you know, stuff from Australia, Australia, Canada, the US, England. Um, so because of this wealth of, of, of uh, English writers, English language authors, there isn't much room for foreign writers. Okay. So I was actually lucky that the second book was published. I don't know why, actually. I, I, I don't know why. Well, I think your, your publisher, Gallic Books, is published by Gallic in, in the UK. I do, they do some fan, absolutely tremendous books. Uh, they're a publisher that I really admire. And um, uh, so I, I hopefully we'll see your, see your first book shortly. But what made you decide, uh, Jean-Baptiste, that you were going to add novelist to your CV? After all, you're a film director, screenwriter. You, you, have, uh, you have some pretty formidable jobs already. Yes. Um, well, it, it's... it's... I worked in the film industry for 15 years and I was indeed a, a, a screenwriter and a director. I mostly directed this, well, I actually exclusively directed the stuff that I wrote. Um, and after 15, 15 20 years, um, I started feeling very frustrated with the film world, um, with the fact that so much money is involved that from the minute you put your pen to paper, or finger to keyboard, the you immediately think, can I do this? Can I write this? Is it doable? Is it doable as in is it acceptable by the for you know uh, is is it acceptable for the audience, or more prosaically, is it uh, can it be financed? Mm -hmm. The second book is set in the mountains in the snow. This is typically the kind of story I would probably not have written as a movie because it's just I know how hard it is to shoot uh, in, in this kind of environment so it would make it more expensive and as a result it would probably be harder than any other film to finance with novels there are no limits if mm -hmm. I can do anything I want I can have uh, I can have elephants battling on the moon uh, and it's all free. And I can work with actors who uh, throw no tantrums, who have no crazy requirements, cost no money, <laughs> whom I don't have to babysit. So this is this was very appealing. Um, I really it was really about freedom for me, artistic freedom. It's not a coincidence that the first book, Marraine, which means my queen, is the story of a boy who runs away from a home, home being an old gas station where he lives with his parents. Who runs away from home to in a quest for freedom, for personal freedom? Uh, uh, I did not realize actually that parallel between the story of this book and, mm. and my personal quest, but that's what it was. So it was all about freedom. That's the short answer. Okay, okay. And and where do you stand on the sort of this unwritten law that says the correct number of words for a novelist to write each day is five hundred? 
I had no idea there was such a law, by the way. So now I'm actually quite stressed by that. Well, it's, I, a, it's the unwritten law because uh, it kind of so it comes up so often when I ask people how many, you know, what's your sort of daily output, or if you have a daily output, how many words do you do you normally write? So many of them say five hundred. No, if but it, <laughs> I, I, someone's told them that's what they have to do. No, I I envy that ability. I actually, when I was in the film business. Um, um, and it's funny that I call it a business. It's probably quite uh, interesting. I, I don't call literature a business, even though it is one. But when I was in the film industry and I wrote basically every day, I, I, I've been writing every day for 20 years. But as soon as I wrote my first novel, it became something different. Uh, it's, 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 I write in a certain, I have an idea and it's an outburst, which is going to last four months. But if I do not have that idea, then I have to wait. I just have to wait and do nothing. So when I read about Jack London sitting, uh, getting up early in the morning and writing uh, really much more than 500 words from five in the morning to 12 and then starting drinking, I'm kind of like, hey, that's cool. You know, you, you can have a huge output and then you can drink on top of that. Well, that didn't work very well for him in the end because I think it killed him, but wow. But I cannot do that. I cannot sit at my desk and just write. I don't want to do that. It's actually one of the, my rules is that you have to have a precise plan as to what you have to write. So I don't sit and write. Okay. I don't do that. I only do it once I have everything laid out. From Strong Words magazine, these are the five rules of writing. All right, let's get onto your onto your five rules then, uh, Jean Baptiste. And, and this uh, this first rule, it could go either way. You know, it's uh, you say treat every novel like it's your first, which means there are no rules about writing a second novel. Is is this good or bad news? You know, I feel it could be uh, it could be it's it's very uh, liberating, but also it could be there well, is well, no process of education. Well, no, it's this cliche that you know the the only rule is that there are no rules. Uh, I. Um, I, I th what happened to me basically is that after my first movie, which was a horror movie called Dead End in 2001, I had some kind of panic attack as to what my second movie, which was uh, Big Nothing, a movie I made with Simon Pegg and David Schwimmer, I, I had a panic attack about what that second movie should be, would have to be, how I would finance it, what were people expecting of me. And as a result, I did not, and that panic attack, as it usually uh, uh, does, didn't do anything. It didn't help. You know, it didn't make me create mm -hmm. something. So it left me dry for two years. And then when I started saying, when I, I stopped worrying about it, that second movie came about and suddenly it was clear to me what I wanted to write. So I remember thinking at the time, never again. I'm never again going to put that kind of pressure on myself. I'm never again going to wonder what should I do? What are people expecting? So that's that's that when I said the first, every novel should be treated as the first, it's because when you write your first novel, all most of the authors would agree with that, you have total freedom because you you know you don't have much to lose. People are not expecting anything because they don't know you. So there is usually this very genuine, honest, uh, eager, uh, magical thing coming out of you. That's what it means. Um, that's what I mean by that. 
Okay. I, I once tried to write a novel and having written it, one thing I realised is that it's much harder to write than I realised. Is it, having written one, did, did, is it then kind of, do you feel you're much more um, aware of the, the problems, you know, the challenge, the amount of time you've got to carve out, just the practicalities of it? No, I think it, it actually becomes harder and harder because you hone your craft for sure. No, but it's true. The third this is one, terrible news. Yeah, I know, I know. No, but, but, but it also, it's also, it becomes hard. It's like, a, I, I have this funny image and parallel that it's like drugs. You know, your first movie is like a doobie and that's, I don't do drugs, by the way. So, okay, now that's a disclaimer. I'm not condoning. I have some excessive behavior, but not drugs. Anyway, it's like a little doobie, first book, first, oh, that's nice. Hey, I'm, I like that. You know, I, I have to do that again. Hey, let's try cocaine. Uh, a second book, oh, that's more, even more fun. Blah, blah, blah. Third book, which I just published, it was heroin for me. I was completely into it. I didn't. I almost didn't come out of my study for four months. Mm -hmm. uh, puts your marriage in jeopardy. Uh, but that's because you're more and more into it. You master your tools more and more. Um, and you want to explore new things. You want to go further. You, you want to lose yourself in that world more and more, deeper and deeper. That's why I find it harder. I don't find it harder to tell a story. It's just that, of course, you mature, you want to make it more complex and all these things. So, but I think it's, I do, strangely, I, I mean, I am a professional writer, whether for screen or, or books, but I do not consider myself a professional writer in that I cannot just get up and go to work tomorrow. I do not know if I have another book in me. Mm -hmm. And it, I always think about, okay, don't worry about it think about Harper Lee, about uh, you know, all these people who wrote one great book. And I've been lucky enough to write three books. Um, I hope there's gonna be more, but I don't wanna force it. And I, I, I'm, that's why I don't have this, okay, I'm gonna get up tomorrow and write 500 words, doesn't mean anything to me. I have to have something to share with you. Okay. Okay. Now then your second rule, I think is a really interesting one. You say love each and every character. I mean, this sounds a bit like a, you know, something I would expect someone from film uh, with a film background say love each and every character, even the ones you want the readers to hate. How, how does a writer love the characters? How does a writer do not love his characters is more a question I'm wondering sometimes. I've realized, I've come to realize re when I, I don't like a book, and it's well written, okay? And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering, I actually had this little mental exercise recently, why is this book not working? Uh, because of course, when you learn screenwriting, there's a lot of analysis to know how it's done. Um, so I'm always thinking, okay, this book is obviously well written, the author is well known. How come not, how come, okay, not only do I not like this book, but I think it's a bad book, why? Um, and most of the time, it's two things. Lack of humor. So even when you're, when you're dealing with a very complex and serious subject, I think humor is, and, and you guys in, in, in Britain have the best sense of humor in the world. And I married an English woman. And that's, that's just very important for me to be able to treat something very dark with humor. When it's not there, I think it's a problem. And the second thing is there is sometimes a feeling that the writer 
did not like his characters, did not care for them, did not give them enough attention. And, and it was especially important for me in my third, third book, which, was, which is called uh, De Diable des Saints, Devils and Saints, which is going to be published by Gallic in, in English next year. Uh, it was particularly important because there is, there are, it's set in an orphanage and some of the characters are really awful. But I did not want them to be James Bond type villains. Mm-hmm. I wanted the audience to understand their faults, to understand where their darkness uh, was coming from. And as a result, you have to love these guys. Even the baddies were born as pink, sweet babies. And mm-hmm. what, what happened to them along the way to turn them into these baddies? I think when this is there and you, you actually create depth, you know, it's not a cardboard cutout, your, your baddie. It's, it's a fully fleshed human being. And that's that's what I mean by that. Uh, you 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 have the audience, the the audience, um, uh, the, the the readers and the audience too. In a movie, have to relate. A good baddie in a movie is one you relate to. Yes, I mean, but there are. I mean, some people in the world are truly despicable, aren't they? I mean, I agree that uh, in books we tend to like bad people, or we certainly um, we you know perhaps like people more when they show their failings or their mistakes or their dark but, side, but but some people really are genuinely vile. No, but you know, when I think about somebody I really, really, really do not like, like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. I, I catch myself thinking, okay, but I know, I know that this guy's behavior is the behavior of a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you study that guy's history, he was desperate for his father's approval, which, we, which he never got. And you get this kind of spoiled, tantrum-prone brat who grew up in a rich environment, desperate to get his father's approval. When you see this horrible guy who represents everything I hate and despise in the world today, there is this child behind. And, and I think it's important to understand where uh, evil is coming from because the way that's the only way to fight it, to prevent mm-hmm. it from happening. I don't think people are born evil, and people are, and some people are born evil, and some people are born good, uh, good people. So I think it's important to always see that little twinkle of light, which has disappeared in some people or is hidden, but it's there okay. somewhere. Okay. Now I see in your in your film past you once made a film with the fabulous Audrey Fleurot who yes. uh, plays one of my all-time favorite characters in anything whether film book or real life she's uh, Josephine Carlson in Spiral or on Grenache as you could call it in, in, and she's not, she's not a particularly likable character is she and she also she doesn't care whether anybody likes her or not it really doesn't seem to bother her it's uh so anyway, I just wanted to say, I think she's absolutely fabulous. And, and she's uh, a lovely person in real life, by the way. She was, she's one of the actors I worked with, which didn't need any babysitting or anything. She was really, really lovely. Okay, I'm glad to hear. So that's good news for you. You can <laughs> still idolise her. Yes, I mean, well, she is, she is just fantastic. Uh, anyway, the third point, uh, which is also an excellent, this, of all the sort of times I've talked to people about uh, with their five rules. This may be my favourite rule of all so far. So your rule three is get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, you know, the, your book um, it has one of uh, strong words, favourite qualities. It's quite short. So was it, was, it, um, was it initially a huge book that you had to kind of shave down or no. how do you make sure you get to the point? 
I'm a very, uh, I'm very impatient as a, as a, as a person. I, I, I just have to get things done. I cannot stand uncertainty. And when you tell me I have to be someplace, I just have to go there. If you tell me something and I understand where you're going, I just, just, you know, cut everything that's not necessary. I know what you're trying to say. Let's move forward in the discussion. So I have the, it's, it's not a quality by the way, uh, or, or not always. I'm very impatient. And so when I write and I have, I have my, story laid out in front of me um, in my notebook. Uh, every time I write a scene, there is a part of me which enjo enjoys writing that particular scene and another part of me that wants to move to the next one because it looks so appealing, that next scene too. So I, 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 don't, I don't write a lot of stuff and then cut stuff out. I just write very economically and very tight from from, from the, the beginning. And uh, I write short books or relatively short books, which are meant to resonate. I, I build the books in a particular way whereby I, I write very short. I love poetry too. And there's a, a, a little bit of that hopefully in the books. So I write very short chapters or paragraphs, which then I spread more than the usual paragraphs to indicate the reader that he or she has to stop there and let the paragraph resonate. Uh, so, I tr I'm trying to not describe things, mm -hmm. um, to not, uh, you know, force feed the audience with an abundance of details, but just give them an outline and let their imagination fill that picture. And, and so there is a bit of a collaborative thing happening between the reader and, and the writer, which I really love. Right. And, and that means naturally get to the point and use as little words as you can to describe a situation, which is probably something I, I, I took from the film and from the film world. Okay, I mean, novelists are traditionally uh, a group of people who very much do not get to the point. No, they, they take a long time to, uh, uh, to, they take their own sweet time to, to make whatever point it is they're trying to make. Do you get impatient reading other writers or which, which writers do you get most impatient with or what mm. aspects of writing do you get most impatient? No, for example, I, I'm, I'm just in a Steinbeck phase and he writes big books and I just find them magnificent. Or Umberto Eco, I love Umberto Eco. He writes really big books I find them magnificent I just don't write like that but as a reader I have no problem with that mm. but my the, I, I, I when you know it's suddenly writing what happens to you the first time you write is it's like somebody getting in the shower in the morning and started singing and and realizing hey I have a little bit of a voice and then you discover your own voice and you might want to be a bass or a, a uh, as something else or a soprano or whatever although if you if you can be both that's probably a bit of a problem but uh, but you and you are a baritone and but suddenly you realize hey after all i'm i'm a tenor and i wanted to be a bass but i'm a tenor that that's how i do it so writing is that i had no uh, preset plan as to how i would write it's just that's how it comes that's mm. how it pours out Okay. Now your fourth rule, this is a, this is a slightly, slightly, slightly more difficult one. You say disappear as the author, yes. leave no fingerprint. Yeah. This is very enigmatic. Yes, I know. This. I know. It's, it's actually linked. It's a perception that I have, which is hard to share, but I'm going to try. Uh, it's actually linked to the previous rule. I'm going to give you a very concrete example, actually. Uh, my first book, again, Marraine, is the story of a 12-year-old boy who everybody calls a retard and and he's just different uh and he's treated horribly by everybody 
including his father. He decides to run away. Um, every time I sat down to write this book, and I, I, I wrote this book in little bursts of three pages a day that was very specific to this book, this boy has a vision of the world and a language which is quite specific. And the reason I ended up writing three pages a day and not more is that after three or three pages, about three pages, I started to put words into this guy's mouth. He's called Shell, the, 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 this boy. I started put, putting words into his mouth, which sounded fake, like I was trying to be funny. Okay. But not like that guy was speaking. The reason this book was successful is because people, I mean, uh, people come to me all the time and told me, how is this guy so realistic? It's like he exists. Do you know this person? I said, no, he's fictitious. But I became him for three pages. And then I became myself again, Jean-Baptiste writing a book. It's exactly like when you see in movies, nine-year-old kids saying funny things they would actually never say in real life. This is when the author doesn't disappear. This is when the author leaves big, fat, greasy fingerprints all <laughs> over his or her story, saying, hey, look at how funny I am. So you have to become your story. You have to become each and every character. And people who open the book have to think, fuck, you know, it's, this is real. This thing is real. Right. That's why I do not like big descriptions, long, lengthy uh, uh, flourishes because this is typically an author's print. You know, real life is an instant perception of things. Right. Um, so it's this point three and four uh, kind of uh, go hand in hand. Well, that's very interesting because I've just written about um, in the next issue of Strong Words, which comes out on in uh, uh, next week about uh, how Mario Puzo wrote The Godfather. And uh, he, he was a man who had kind of quite literary aspirations and his, he wasn't making any money out of, his, out of his highbrow literature. So he wrote something which was a bit more uh, mainstream, a bit more pulpy, and he wrote The Godfather. And uh, he's, even though he grew up in New York and he grew up in a sort of poor Italian family, he said he'd never actually met a, a member of the mafia. You know, he knew about kind of crime on the street, yeah, but he yeah. never, never once met. He said, I, and he felt quite embarrassed about it. You know, he said, I never met uh, anybody who's actually in the mafia. And when, when The Godfather came out, some very senior mafia figures, you know, internationally famous now mafia figures came up to him and, and refused to believe that he wasn't somehow deeply involved personally in mafia life. They just, you know, they just wouldn't have it. And he said, I'm really sorry. It's all from research and my imagination. And, uh, you know, so the fact that uh, he was able to convince the kind of people that he was actually writing about, that he had a direct line to the kind of way in which they thought and, and spoke, even though he'd only just, he, it was all from research. Um, I found quite extraordinary that he was able to, effectively fool them to deceive them into into thinking that so i, I it, it is the power of fiction accident, yeah no it, it is the power of fiction i received a letter about my first book from a doctor saying this is a fantastic clinical diagnosis of and and there was a series of technical term i couldn't understand about the condition of this child but i never i, I didn't even do research uh, I, I actually myself did not give any known condition to this kid. I, he doesn't have a condition. He's just strange. And I did not want to pigeonhole him into either autism or any other form of, of, of uh, pathology and or specific problems. 
But still, this doctor recognized clinical signs, very precise clinical signs of something. So, so this is quite marvelous. This is, again, as, as you rightly said about Mario Puzo, a way of disappearing and, and, and letting your story be so emotionally powerful that it becomes true. And even if some details are not exactly true, you know, they are glossed over by people who know and they just see the truth of the story. Right. I mean, do you know how you did it, though? How did you put yourself into the no. position of this boy? It no, just it's, it's, it's just that you so that's what that's how I know I want to tell a story. It becomes an obsession and I want to become the character and I want to live that adventure through that character. Uh, that's why I, I find it impossible to sit and just write. Uh, there is a strong desire in me to go somewhere else, to become somewhere else for right. a time. Okay. Okay. Uh, now then your fifth one is a more practical piece of advice. You say plan ahead. Do not write expecting something great to come up during the process. How, how meticulous are you in your plans? I guess this is part of the film background, right? We yes. have to know every shot in advance. Yes. This is also the rule I hate the most, by the way, I, 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 because it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 very, it's very, I mean, it feels stifling at first when, you know, you have an idea uh, and you know the first thing you want to do every writer is just write because it's it's that it's the moment where it's great but and what by the way this rule is controversial i always have friendly fights with friends or other authors about that mm -hmm. some people just write but these people will usually end up telling you yeah sometimes you get stuck and okay so you let it rest for a couple of months i don't want that um, i don't want to miss a fork in the road of the storytelling and stop because I've reached a dead end and not know where I took the wrong road and have to deconstruct everything or start from scratch. So uh, as soon as I have my story, uh, which basically means uh, a, a beginning, a middle and an end, that's what I call a story. I know where, where I'm going. I have a narrative, um, a, 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 you know, storyline. Um, as soon as I'm there, uh, I'm okay, I'm thinking stop. Now starts the hard part and the most boring bit, which is flesh it out, okay? Uh, and so it takes me about a month to I have a, a notepad here to structure the story. Once I have this whole story, which I would uh, uh, compare to the, the, the pillars of a bridge that the name is big, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, um, then I'm free to improvise between these uh, these big pillars. I, I'm going to add, of course, stuff that's not in my notebook, that's not in the plans. Uh, the stuff happens when you write, but I know where I'm going every time. You know, if I'm jumping from one point to another, I'm, I know I'm not going to fall in the rapids below and, and be uh, <laughs> taken away and die. I know if I jump, I'm going to fall on, on you know, solid stone. And then from that solid stone, I'm going to be able to jump on the other one and then right. reach the other bank. Um, that's what I call planning ahead. I, I, you know, not everybody does that, but it's very important to me, I think. It's, yeah. Yes, I mean, I've just been, also been writing about uh, um, Gone Girl, you know, Gillian Flynn's yes. uh, book, mm -hmm. Gone Girl, which has this gigantic twist in the middle. Everything depends on this uh, great shock yeah. right in the middle of the story. And uh, she said that when she sat down to write that, she had no plans at all about what was going to happen. She just sat down and started writing. So something which is so, um, you know, which depends on this structural, absolutely key structural element in the middle. She had no anticipation of it. Have you, have you tried that approach? No, because, uh, and I don't want to. 
<laughs> no, because you know, you're, 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 that, that's just the exception to the rule. You know, for one gone girl, there's one million unknown titles, right? Which didn't go anywhere. Well, by the way, your book, how did you write it? Did you just start with a tiny wisp of an idea, or did you make a plan? Um, well, I can't. I can't really. I think I had a. I did have a plan. I knew okay. where it was going, but yeah. uh, I didn't really plot it out uh, like a military campaign. I think okay. I knew. I knew what it was, and I knew it was going to where it end up. But it was a sort of vague rather than really sharp, focused thing. To be more. Uh, 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 precise action and practical in, in the, the book we're talking about today, 100 million years in a day, just to give you a very precise example, the character of Yuri, I'm trying not, I don't want to talk too much about him, but mm -hmm. the character of Yuri is, uh, happened during the writing. Now, this is, the character of Yuri wasn't there when I started writing. And it's only when I reached that point in the story that I thought I need something else. I need like more salt in the recipe. Uh, and um, normally I have all my characters, first book, third book, no new character appeared during the writing, other things appeared. In this one, Yuri was a character which suddenly popped out of the story. So not everything is planned. Okay, but, see the the old guy, the old the mountain guide. No, is Yuri? The, is the, I, if I say who he is, it's, I'm gonna, oh, okay, well, I'm can... gonna spoil the thing. He's Peter's oh, right. friend. Okay. And right. the, the young paleontologist friend that, German guy. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we won't we won't talk about that anymore then because uh, people have to read it for themselves. Yes. And your and your next book, you say there are there are plans for that to come out in the UK? Yes, I think next year. Yeah. It, okay. it came out in France in January and um uh and and it was, uh, Gallic took it for the UK, so I think it's gonna come out next year. Okay, fantastic. Well, in the meantime, everybody can get um, get their teeth into a uh, hundred million years and a day. It's, it really is superb, and I, 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 it's an adventure. It's a it's a man sort of losing control of himself. It's uh, the perils of becoming obsessed and determined. There's, I mean, there's, there are so many things in there that everybody I think can uh, identify with, and I hugely enjoyed it. I'm very much looking forward to your next one. Thank John you Baptiste. very much. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really Thank you. I had a great time. From Strong Words magazine, these are the five rules of writing. 